Everyone loves something for nothing, even if it costs everything. Stephen King, Needful Things. Hey, gentlemen. Uh I am with two handsome gentlemen tonight. We have uh, everything. Everything's sexier on a podcast. It, it, yeah. <laughs> we have great voice uh, faces for radio, right? Uh, uh, it is me, Kayla, Justin, as usual, and then we have a very special guest, Judson. Hello, Jud- welcome, welcome, Judson. <laughs> now tonight we're talking about needful things, and Judson, you wanted to join us specifically for this one. Can you tell us a little bit about your history with needful things and why you wanted to be on our podcast on this one? Yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. Um, I'll be honest; I can't remember. I, I enjoy needful things, but um, I also wanted to join y'all, but I could not get excited about any of the other books you were reading around this time. Mm. Um, so like the dark half and then some of the other books you all were reading, they just didn't really resonate with me that much. So, um, I have read, I think this was my third time to read needful things and, uh, it's just a book I enjoyed. So I was excited about the opportunity to, to jump on and talk about it. Nice. Have you read all of King's books? Are you on the same kind of journey that we're on? I believe I've read them all. I don't think, I think, I think the only one I had not read was Cycle of the Werewolf. And I think I read Mm. that about two years ago. So I think I've read them all now. Nice. Oh my gosh. That's really exciting. Okay. Now (laughs) I feel like it can be done. Like I'm actually talking to a person (laughs) who's done it. (laughs) I've not done it in the, the amount of time you all are planning to do it. That is impressive. Uh, well, <laughs> well, we'll, well, it's quickly become we'll clear see. that the, the, the year, the year of King podcast will take uh, roughly 19 months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We may have to change it to like uh, years in parentheses. Yeah. Or something I think we've like got that. years of King. Yeah. Uh, Cause we are also uh, starting here with needful things. We are hitting a stretch of some pretty big books. Yes. I didn't even realize how large this book was to be honest. This was kind of similar to the dark half where I didn't really know anything about this book. I had never really thought about it that much before. And when I got it from the library, um, the same librarian always helps me. And we talk about the Stephen King books. And I was like, this book, why is this so big? Why is this book so big? And he was like, it's really good, though. You'll like it. Okay, that sounds good. But um, yeah, it is. It is a big damn book. Uh so yeah so um kayla you had not read it before i also had not read it and certainly um if you had asked me much like the dark half if you'd asked me when we started this project to list all the books we would be reading uh i would not have come up with this one same i think i think we were watching an episode of rick and morty and they have an episode where they reference needful things that the whole episode is built around this shop where one of the characters works and it's run by the devil and he gives uh, people gifts and thing or gives these items to people and they're cursed. Um, and I kept thinking, that's a Stephen King story, but I don't know what, <laughs> what exactly it was. And so when I finally was reading about needful things before we started actually reading it i got really excited because it's like oh i know what this is so that was pretty much my only inkling really of what this book was about so yeah yeah. 
Well, uh, before we dive into the nitty-gritty here with Judson, uh, Kayla, do you want to give your typical um, brief synopsis? Sure. Um, So Leland Gaunt comes to the town of Castle Rock, which we are familiar with at this point, with his antique store. And he proceeds to uh, introduce himself to different people in the town, and we get to know a little bit about those people and their backstories. And as they start picking up things from his shop, he invites them to play tricks on each other and they start off pretty simple. Um, but they escalate pretty, uh, I would say quickly, but it, it's not, it kind of simmers for a little bit and ends up, they, it escalates to murder, basically, um, murder and suicide and all these terrible things happen to this town. Um, and all the while, all of these things are happening. The intrepid sheriff, Alan Pangborn is struggling to figure out, what is actually going on in the town and why people are acting so crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah. That's uh, it's quite a brief summary of a 900 page piece. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I try, I don't want to, you know, I expect that people will probably have read it if they're interested in this podcast, but I don't want to give away like every single detail that goes on, but um, yeah, they, they've read it or you're married to some people who, who listen, but will have no interest in actually reading the book. So. <laughs> Not that either of us know what that feels like, but no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> But anyway, so Judson, you are the expert of the three of us on Needful Things. Um, what draws you to this book or what drew you to it in the first place? So what I, what I really like about this book is to me, um, I, you all have referenced my uh, dislike for the Tommyknockers. And I know that I'm in the minority <laughs> um, in that opinion. But what I, to me, it is like, a really nice small town novel where you get like a lot of backstory, you get like a lot of characters. Um, he kind of builds that up and mm. it's just, an, it's an entertaining small town story. Um, it's, you know, like you said, it, it's like a slow build up that, uh, you know, he sets up the tension. It's like, he builds like a house of cards mm. with, um, with the people coming in, find, finding their heart's desire. Um, purchasing and then uh you know doing a small prank or doing something and he he just takes his time kind of building up all the cards and then you can tell like at the last third of the book just enjoys just like blowing it all to hell literally yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh that's really interesting i was thinking about that as i was reading it about how beautifully king structures all of the backstories and all of the characters and who doesn't like who and who's got a problem with who, you know, the Baptists versus the Catholics and all of these different relationships that happen. And when something bad happens, they know immediately who to suspect. Um, And they're always just like waiting to just jump all over each other. Um, And I think he just structures it so beautifully. Like you said, he's just building this great, uh, build up and it's fascinating yeah uh and uh justin what did you think about this book i'm really interested to hear what you think yeah you know i dug it um as as you'll recall uh i was a big fan of the dark half so uh i was i was excited to stay in castle rock and with uh you know with at least um one or two of the same characters um 
I guess uh, mainly Pangborn, but then his deputy was also briefly in uh, the dark half. Uh, you know, I also, I enjoyed it. Uh, I did enjoy it more than I thought I would after the first hundred pages or so. Uh, I was also pretty impressed with uh, the intricate relationships that he builds up between these characters and then uh, the resolution uh, or, or, you know, how, how he gets those relationships to evolve. Um, I do have some quibbles with it, which we can get to. Um, so I, I kind of liked, didn't love it, um, but uh, still found it, found it a perfectly enjoyable read. Nice. Me too. Um, I am curious to ask you guys, as I was reading the book, I kept thinking, this doesn't really feel horror-y. It feels very satirical. Um, and reading about it after the fact, reading different articles and things about it, apparently King meant it to be a satire, really. Um, so what did you guys think about that? Did you catch on to that? Did you think of it that way? Or did you just kind of think of it as a straight-up horror story? I had never, I don't think I've ever read anything about him saying that. And that makes me feel better uh, hearing that <laughs> because um, like, for instance, reading, you know, uh, Lester Pratt and his girlfriend, and he is at one point thinking that she is inside waiting to have sex with him. And he says something like out loud. He says like Rudy Tutut, sweet little Sally in her birthday suit. And it's like this 20 year old guy who would like no 20 year old guy talks like that yes exactly you know, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the characterizations and things that he he uses are just completely ridiculous so to, to hear that i mean i think that makes sense and i could definitely see it as satire mm -hmm. yeah i agree i mean i think i started pretty pretty early on in reading this viewing it kind of as like king's commentary on you know, at the time, uh, the 80s were viewed as by far the most materialistic and, and selfish decade, um, it, you know, in basically, uh, at least in our nation's history. Um, looking back now, of course, they kind of seem like the good old days in terms of <laughs> in terms of that. Yeah. But but, you know, I kind of viewed the whole thing as his commentary on that, uh, given that everyone gets so possessed with these uh possessed both i guess literally and figuratively with or by these possessed they get from gaunt um that they're mm -hmm. both a uh willing to do anything to keep them but b also terrified of actually using them um which is a you know kind of funny commentary on the extremes that um some parts of collector culture would devolve into mm -hmm. but but yeah, so I kind of viewed the the whole thing as a kind of satirical allegory for that materialism. Yes, I even I actually in my notes have written like an underline a million times. Everyone loves something for nothing, even if it costs everything, which sounds kind of trite now. But I think of that as kind of the theme of the book. Like these people think, what what a good deal for this vase or whatever. This kind of crappy pair of sunglasses that are broken or you know this fake baseball card um but it, it always costs something else it costs them you know their sanity their humanity their relationships um and just i enjoy how how they feel really real but they also feel 
just kind of caricatures like they're they're so greedy and so intense and there's so many secrets that it almost feels borderline not real which i think is a good part of satire um although i will say most satires that i actually really like are typically about 300 pages or less (laughs) so (laughs) after a while you're kind of like okay i get it everyone's greedy okay fine but you know it it wasn't just a lot of fun to read just as a story in itself rather than oh i'm gonna look at this from an entirely satirical perspective but okay good i was really curious to see what you guys thought about that because i kept picking up on that and thinking okay i can't wait to ask about this too um anything else in this book that you noticed that you want to pick up on um any themes or anything that you thought were interesting Something I um, actually I don't enjoy about the book is I feel like um, like to me, Alan Pangborn is not a satirical character. I think that mm. he's kind of built up to be um, I mean, he's like he's a leading man. I mean, he's built up to be to me kind of like a rock and someone who's stable. You know, he's processing um, the tragedy of his, you know, his wife and son dying in a car wreck um, and going through that grief. And I really like the way that King talks about grief and the way that like Painborn is often continually surprised by the grief, how it's waiting for him. Mm. Um, I thought that was really well done, but towards the end of the book where um, Painborn just, I feel like very quickly accepts the, the videotape of um, his wife and son being killed by Ace Merrill. Um, mm-hmm. And it is clearly something that Lee Lingon is offering him and he already knows not to trust Lee Lingon. So the degree to which he just quickly accepts that and, and like becomes part of the town, chaos if you will um i've always that doesn't really seem earned to me Mm, that makes a lot of sense that's because yeah that is really interesting i do like how you mentioned how king deals with grief so well we've seen him do that a few times in our king journey um and i think that he handles it beautifully each time just uh he just really understands how that feels and how to communicate that in his characters so that's good Any other themes or anything that anybody's grasped onto in this one? Did he mention um, the Dark Tower in this book? Oh, not that I caught. I saw him mention a whole bunch of other different books. Um, I know you guys were excited about the Cujo reference. (laughs) You know us. We just can't wait. (laughs) Just can't wait. I know when when they brought it up, I was like, oh, my God, we get it. It happened in Castle Rock, and we're here in Castle Rock. Everybody talks about it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, Cujo. We'll ne- we'll never forget that. <laughs> if anything else, we'll never forget it. Oh gosh. Um, I did think it was a really interesting. Um, I was reading Grady Hendrix's um reread of king which i always do after i read it i'm like okay what did grady, H- grady hendrix have to say and he mentioned really briefly the popularity of antiques during the late 80s and how people were collecting a lot of antiques um just spending a lot of money to have these nice old things in the house and i thought it was really interesting that king has blended that in with this book how people just want this old stuff and are somehow drawn to it even more and it makes it seem more interesting the fact that it's old um even if it's bs like the uh uh what is it the splinter from noah's ark or something like that which is just so stupid but uh i thought it was really fun that he mentioned that too yeah uh can you hear me kayla yep 
Okay, good. I think I dropped off for a while there. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. I had nothing of relevance to say. Uh, no, I was just going <laughs> to okay. say, uh, speaking of references to other books, it's really good to see that Thad's doing well from the dark half. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't at all predictable. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, what did you guys think about Polly? I feel like um, she was such a big character in the book. What did you think about her? Uh, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. To me, it's kind of King's standard uh, supporting female character. Um, a lot of, I, I it didn't it didn't resonate with me. I didn't think she was mm-hmm. all that well written, to be honest. Um, I found her. Uh, to be honest, I found her story, which got a lot more attention, um, to be a lot more compelling than um, a lot of the other smaller characters, even someone like Nettie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think, Judson? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, that she it was she was fine, but it it just felt like a typical character to me. It was not not yeah. The whole the whole storyline with her dead child it was just what, to me <laughs> to me that is like one of the most worthless parts of this book. Uh, Agreed. I actually think the the deal with Polly and her um, physical um, ailment, the arthritis, I think, and her struggles that she has with that, I think are actually really fascinating. The fact that he's talking about chronic physical pain in this kind of way, which I feel like a lot of writers hadn't really done or I hadn't really seen very often but then they keep bringing up this thing about the dead kid and how she feels guilty about it and it's like I would just much rather focus on her having to like struggle day to day to work and have a relationship with this arthritis rather than her keep bringing up this random thing that doesn't really seem to even matter that much yeah he Uh, wanted to make it into like a huge backstory of her mm -hmm. going to San Francisco and and then I felt like when they when Gaunt pretended to have Alan, you know, write a letter or like inquire about her backstory. And then we get this letter from San Francisco and there's like a small detail that it clearly could not have been her, but we're not supposed to pick up on that. Right. And then, and then when it's revealed, it's like, I felt like Stephen King wanted everyone to be like, wow. But I mean, it just wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't that exciting. Yeah. Same. Same. I did think, I read a couple of things how people didn't like Leland Gaunt, but I think that Leland Gaunt's a really fun villain. I think I thought he was a blast. <laughs> so I don't I never I didn't really get the critiques of why people didn't like him very much, but I'm curious to see what you guys think about the uh Mr. Gaunt. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think I think he's a fun character. I like you know, I, I kinda like these characters that uh you know I guess my one critique of it would be that he does feel a little bit close to, um, and I'm blanking on the name, but the the vampire, the main vampire from Salem's Lot. Oh, uh, um, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. You know, a lot of the kind of characterizations and just mm-hmm. being the shop owner and everything, it feels a little bit close to that. But I, I agree with you. I kind of enjoy the idea of this, uh, you know, like gleeful goblin type character who just played <laughs> – plays off of everyone's own um inner insecurities mm-hmm. yeah he's he's just kind of flat out evil there's not a lot of um you know not everyone has to have a complicated 
backstory. He's he's an evil entity, and it's entertaining. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I think it's a blast. <laughs> I don't know, and I love um, as he's pulling away in his car. It says "Buyer Beware" in Latin on the side of his car. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I just thought it was so great. And it might be. I think his character's a little on the nose, but I think it works for something like a a satire. If you kind of view it like that, it's like, oh, he's supposed to be a little bit over the top and a little too, uh, I don't know, a little too not nuanced, I guess. <laughs> like, he's just flat-out evil. And it's a lot of fun. Um, let's see. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, know they, I know they made a movie version of this shortly after it came out, but if they did another movie version of, of this now, uh, I would just fucking love to see uh, Christopher Walken play Leland Gott. <gasps> oh, that would be so good. <laughs> that would if, be so good. If neither of you have seen the movie, you have done yourselves a favor. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. I didn't even yeah. really know there was one until I was Yeah, I, I've heard that it is the furthest thing from yeah. a faithful yeah. adaptation. Yeah, stay away. Oh, that's such a bummer because this would have been a lot of fun as a movie, I think. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be like a miniseries or anything, but a movie I think would be fun. That's that's a well, shame. Well, you say it doesn't need to be a miniseries, but with eight streaming services out there, someone uh, someone's going to need material. Hey, if uh, yes, if you can yeah. make if you can make Eyes of the Dragon into a into a Jeez. miniseries, then needful <laughs> things can't be far behind. Lord, I I remember hearing about that. One of the people from Music City Horror sent that to me, and I was like, Why? Why? Please stop. <laughs> it's like not every Stephen King book is good okay people sorry it's just not (laughs) Uh, oh well Um, Uh, I will say you know I liked most of the characters in this book I I liked the the relationships between them to me the one thing in this book that made even less sense than the uh, the whole backstory with Polly and her dead child was the fact that we're at, at least three quarters of the way through this book and we suddenly meet these gay teachers that we haven't ever encountered before. And not only are they gay, but they're pedophiles. Uh, so, you know, and coke uh, addicts. Cu- right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And coke addicts. So kudos <laughs> on the uh, diversity front there, Stephen. Uh, uh, at least, at least they weren't black, I guess, but <laughs> so bad. Uh, so that, bad. that, I, that whole storyline, I was what, why and you know they didn't play any significant role in the end uh that that one was a total blind loop to me so one one i will give one token of credit to to them as characters is i think at the end i think they are the only ones who approach like having a realization that they're being set up they yes that's true and they are about to discuss it and then they just get blown to smithereens that's when i just raise my hands and like all right (laughs) yeah. <laughs> this is this is just how it's gonna be yeah. <laughs> uh i do think that i'd love to talk about how it all escalates toward the end i think king is really good and really enjoys showing a town in complete meltdown mode and i think he just really i mean how much fun is it to just think of all kinds of insane ways for people to just like blow up a whole town um what did you guys think of how the ending was happening i like at the beginning i said something about like a house of cards it is Mm -hmm. is to me like a literary literary version of a child building a sandcastle and then like the glee they have at the end of just destroying it yeah um like i felt that glee like 
you could tell like he was just having a great time doing this. <laughs> yeah, I love the jumping back and forth between all of the different uh kind of resolutions that are going on at the same time. If it if you know, if it uh, if it was all happening in a linear fashion and he just said then this happened and then this happened and then this happened, I would find it much less exciting, but I love the jumping back and forth between the religious battle um and then you know the conflict with uh between Polly and Alan and mm-hmm. then uh you know the the other guys planting the dynamite i i love the kind of cut scenes that we get there yeah it's i thought it was just so well done he really did a fantastic job because that's a lot of characters doing insane things but i think he's built it up enough that we understand the relationships and the conflicts so well that he can jump pretty quickly and we know exactly who he's talking about and what he's talking about um i did love the the casino night battle i just thought that whole build-up was really hilarious and i think probably one of the better examples of the satire um perspective is you know this they have the button, you know, the Baptists have all the buttons and they don't want the casino night to happen and they will just, yeah, just smoke bomb each other. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we once, we once again, we once crazy. again see Stephen King's uh, views on organized religion um, coming. <laughs> yes. <to the> floor. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I, I do like how at the end, they all kind of, the curse kind of breaks and they all, you know, start helping each other up. Like what's happening. Um, and I always appreciate how King does the uh, supernatural, but like kind of vaguely supernatural. Like we're aware that they're under some sort of curse, but this is also inside them. You know, they're also just kind of waiting for an excuse to um, fight each other and to hurt each other. Um, and these cursed items are just kind of a gateway to those feelings, which I think is always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, no, like you said, everything everything that happens here, the, the people already had the capacity within themselves for it. Um, Gaunt just kind of gives them the final push over the edge. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Final thoughts before we start rolling into the crowns section. Uh, you know... I guess for me, I, I enjoyed like I enjoyed the ending in in terms of seeing all of those different battles taking place at once. In terms of the very very ending, um, I would like for Stephen to find some different ways other than just like everything blowing up at the end because uh, <laughs> this is this is about I think the sixth book or so that we've seen that happen in. Um, mm-hmm. So, so he's, uh, you know, he's shooting between 15 and 20% of the books we're reading. He just blows everything up at the end. Yeah. I I think it's, I just enjoy it. I think it's just a fun, like popcorn book. Mm. Cool. I, I, I do agree about the endings. It just, uh, yeah, there's always some sort of like magical item that is miraculously able to defeat the bad guy and then everything explodes. <laughs> it's just kind of all muddled together. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, as long as it's well done, fun, messiness, I'm fine with it. It's just got to be well done. I, I, completely, I completely agree with Judson. This is, this is the Stephen King equivalent of just... Uh, for me, this is the Stephen King equivalent of an Expendables movie. I'm not going to 
something. They said Expendables, and I got excited. I did too. I was about to be like, "Oh my god, Expendables!" <laughs> yeah, I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about um, uh, oh my gosh, the new Fast and Furious movie. Oh, I saw it. Oh, and they were talking about how at some point in the movie, you're like yes <laughs> this movie needs to win 16 oscars and then you immediately forget what happens in the movie um, yeah that's kind of how i feel about this book too, so. I, yeah and i i really appreciate what you said about um he has he loves to have like a child's toy or like something from childhood it's like this belief in the magic of childhood like turns into a weapon like mm-hmm. with um I think like with Eddie and it with Eddie Kasprak's like asthma spray becoming battery yes. acid or, or this with like the flower trick becoming some like blinding, powerful light. It's like this magical realism thing that he gets into. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, he keeps doing that. And I feel like sometimes it's not always the best or most sensical choice. It's always it, interesting, but yeah, just kind of out there sometimes. <laughs> Can you hear me again, Kayla? Yay! Yes, got you. All right, yes. All right, I'm back. I, you know, I, yeah. There are times I can hear you guys, but my voice drops out for some reason. I guess. Oh yeah, we were talking about how you said Expendables, and we were. I like, know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could. I could hear the whole conversation. No, yeah. I was saying for me, this is the Stephen King book equivalent of an Expendables movie, and that like, I'm not going to argue that it's a masterpiece or his finest work, but. Uh, you know, for the hour and a half or two weeks that I am engaged in these activities, um, I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, any more thoughts before we head to crowns? Let's crown it. Let's crown this thing. Judson, you are a special guest. You shall go first. All right. Um, uh, there are there are a lot of things that Stephen King has written that touch me emotionally, that move me. And this book is not one of them. Um, but what it does is it constantly entertains me and you know, it, 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 it's a little bit too long, but I had a good time the entire way through. I was entertained. Um, so for me, I'm going to give it uh, four crowns. Woohoo! Love it. Justin. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I generally try to avoid half crowns, but I'm going to break my rule this time. I'm giving it three and a half, uh, I think I definitely enjoyed it more than some other things that I've given three, like some of the uh, Dark Tower books and so forth. But uh, at the same time, didn't find it on the level of some of my four crowns, like in it or even uh, even like the uh, the dark half. Um, So, yeah, three and a half. uh, But fun read. Nice. I agree. I'm giving um, giving it four crowns. I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed reading all the different characters' backstories. Um, I just, I really enjoyed the perspective that King brought to this um, this little town and satirizing American life. And I just, I kind of want to just read it again. But we have to move on to the next book. But, you know, someday I think I'll have to go back and revisit this one. I liked it a lot. Right, yeah. Only a few tens of thousands of pages from now. Yep, you know, someday I'll get back to this thing. Oh, well. Um, All right. Well, you survived, Judson. You not only survived, you carried it while I was dropping in and out. (laughs) (laughs) I know we got really stoked about the Expendables and talked about Fast and the Furious, which is (laughs) fantastic. So, yeah, Um, yeah. Be sure. Be sure to join uh, our spinoff podcast, which focuses (laughs) only on uh, Jason Statham and the Rock movies. 
I mean, I could talk about that for many, many years. So it's totally fine with me. Um, but maybe, maybe after we're done with this project, we can move on to that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for joining Judson. Uh, it was, you provided much, I think more, much more insightful analysis than me, but, uh, Kayla and I are headed back to the land of the dark tower. Well, good luck on your journey, guys, and thanks for letting me uh, tag along on a part of it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yes. All right, you good, Kayla? Yep, we are all set. All right, we'll see you guys later. All right, bye. For more of our Stephen King adventures, please follow us on Instagram at the Year of King.